Let's pray. Father, as we uh, talk about the purpose of the church, what we're supposed to be doing together, as we look at this great passage in Hebrews this morning, I pray that you would again remind us of who we are, what we're supposed to be doing, remind us of who you are, what a great God we serve, and just encourage us this morning, God. Build us up. As Elaine said, make us one. Help us move forward together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, here's some of my top uh, rooted thoughts after the thing is over. If we can pull those up, Jim. Things I loved about rooted uh, this time around. Rooted promoted unity in our church. We know each other, we love each other better because of it. If it's one thing I heard, I think, consistently throughout groups, it's that I, I know people better and I'm more known to other people now. And, and it's not lost on me that we, we have a church that's made up of different groupings of people. And I don't normally point it out because I think it's just obvious. But, you know, we have people that are here in church year-round. I don't know what their names are. The year-rounders? I don't know. The, the rounders? Uh, doesn't sound very good, does it? All the rounders. Um, and then we have the seasonal people, the, the snowbirds. We have names for you, you know. When you leave, we have other names for you, you know. <laughs> they're all good, though. They're all good. Uh, they're all good. And, and, then, and then we have, uh, we miss our Honey Rock folks in the summer because they're doing ministry out of Honey Rock. And so we have different people in and out. But yet this is one body. So, so how can this be one body when we're, when we're here at different times of the year? And I think Rooted was an awesome way to connect us all together and get us moving all in the same direction. I'm thankful for that. Because we are one body. And just like Elaine showed, all those ladies, uh, there's, there's one. There's one, really. One body. So I love that. Number two. Uh, we now have a... Missional, relational, transformational discipleship program. It's a mouthful. But <clears throat> I think all of our small groups ought to have the element of mission that is outward focus. A lot of, I mean, small groups, by their very nature, focus on each other. That's just what they do. I mean, you get together and you look at the person across the room and you talk to them. You know, it's inward. But we're also looking outward, which we'll talk about more in a second. It's relational. That, that's the obvious one. What we're relating to each other. The relationships go deeper than just, I see you on Sunday morning. It's, I'm getting together with you during the week. We're talking about spiritual things together. How are you doing? How can I pray for you? Awesome. It, it, it's relational. It's also transformational because it has the Bible at the center of it. The Bible transforms people. Prayer transforms people. Some of you probably prayed out loud, and you're not even used to praying out loud with other people. And you did. It's a transformational experience. Uh, and we now have something that we can take other people through so that as the Lord blesses our church and gives us new believers or believers that need to work through other baggage from past experiences in the church, this is something that can ground them. We're ready for God to send us people and we know what to do with them. We, we have a program for this. And more than that, it's, it's more of an experience. It's a life-changing thing. Number three, 
I think the excitement level about the, what the Lord is doing here is very high. That's a very general statement. But as I talk to people Sunday after Sunday, I just I, I feel excited. I see excitement. I see what the Lord is doing, and it just feels like there's something happening here. And, and, and there's a buzz. And, and it's not because of anything I have done or the worship team has done or you have done. It's, it's what the Lord has done. And that's what we're excited about. Number four, uh, rooted groups creatively served so many people. Um, and I, and I, don't, I know this is not a full list. This is just some of it. You know, there was a meal at the school during the parent-teacher conferences, right? I got, I got the up from Nikki. The, the, yeah, that's right. I mean, that's awesome. That is awesome. Um, there was firewood deliveries after one Sunday service. There was a group that ate together right after church, and then they went out to deliver firewood uh, to people that needed it. Uh, there was the Northwood Shared Dinner. That's what my group served at, uh, up in Eagle River. There was the Half Marathon Water Station that a group served at, just handing out water. That's all, I mean, it just shows that we care about our community. Here we are. We're ready to serve. Uh, the, there was a group that collected clothing. Uh, they did like a clothing drive just within their group. And then yard work that was happening for people, um, elderly people that needed yard work done. And I know there's other stuff. That's just stuff that I heard with my own ears that I, that I knew was happening. Um, that's great. And, you know, I said it a few weeks ago, when it comes to service, you're the program. And, and we, could add, we could add dozens of programs here, and they'd all be good because serving's good, but we'd all be running around different directions, you know. We want to add serving programs carefully and cautiously, you know. What we'd like to do more than that, more than adding a program, is taking what we're currently doing and infusing it with, service with outreach so you got a small group what are you doing to serve so you got this going on this church thing what is it doing to reach out i think the same thing for the uh the the ladies ecumenical christmas tea you know i see that this year more than any other year reaching out and saying this is for the community of ladies in three lakes it's not just a church thing it's reaching out now, we'll see who the Lord sends. I, I can't make any promises, but, but I see it reaching, and I love that. Let's take what we do and make it missional. Uh, next. Do I have a next? Is that all I had? It disappeared. Oh, okay, it disappeared. If I had anything else. Um, oh, yeah, number five. Uh, maybe, maybe it's not on there, but we experience spontaneous service and prayer. Spontaneous service and prayer. Now, now I know there was the planned prayer time, you know, the, the, the fasting and prayer, and that was awesome. There was prayer over strongholds. You heard Rose talk about that this morning. That was amazing. There was also spontaneous stuff, you know, like when we show up in someone's yard and pray for them. Like, like that's awesome. That's just like after church on a Sunday going, we're going to show up at their house and we're going to pray. Or there's, we're going to serve. Someone's moving into town, the U-Haul's out there, we're going to go over there and unload that thing. I mean, that's just, that just happened. It's not planned. It's not programmed. It's just God's people saying, let's do it. I love that. Rooted's planned, but I think it helps spark the unplanned. It's a lifestyle of service. It's not just, well, my group had a service project. It's a lifestyle. What can we do? Uh, number six, and lastly, um, I saw the Lord use Rooted to promote spiritual and emotional healing. 
and recommitment, for, for people to recommit to the church. You don't have to be there on a Sunday morning to be a Christian. I understand that. Faith is deeper than that. But to see people recommit to gathering with the church, that's awesome. To see people that had hurts work through some of that stuff. And, and even as Jen showed, it's not that the problems go away. It's not that everything just disappears and I wasn't rooted and, and God made it all roses and daisies and things. It, it's that I, I realize that God is walking with me through this. He's helping me. He's giving me peace. That's it. That's it. So to see God do that, um, I, I'm just I'm giving him thanks. So that's some of my personal list on this. Um, here's, here's the thing, though. Rooted is like a 10-week mountaintop experience. You know, you're doing readings every day. You're memorizing Bible verses. Some of you probably haven't done that in years. And you're memorizing Bible verses. And, you're, and some of you haven't been in a small group in a long time. And you're meeting with people. And you're seeing how good that is. And that's the mountaintop. And now we get to climb down off of the mountain. What's that like? And some of you walk into the valley thing, you know, and, and it's hard. I remember one time I was at a conference, and the worship was so powerful. And I remember some of the, I remember some of the songs they were singing. They were new to me, and I was thinking about the words, and I was just overwhelmed. And I had this sense during worship that I was so small and God was so big. You ever felt that, you know? I am so small and God is so big. I remember kneeling down. I couldn't help but just kneel down because I just wanted to get lower because I felt like God was doing something in me. And I thought, this is, an am- this is an amazing place. I could be here forever. You ever felt that? I could be here forever. I remember uh, one time I was at a concert and I was watching uh, the David Crowder band and he was doing that song, How He Loves. I love that song. And he was leading it. And I'm singing it and I th- and I was just with thousands of other people singing this. And I thought, I could do this for hours and hours and hours. But you know what? In, in half an hour, 45 minutes, it's over. It's over. And you got to go home. So you're not at rooted this coming week. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing because it's Thanksgiving week. And I know the holidays are upon us. Advent is here. It's a beautiful time of year. But January's coming. And we're going to get snow. <laughs> um, and then February. And then March. You know, there, <laughs> and then Easter. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but you come down off the mountain and, and you end up in the valley. And, and then you've got to deal with that. You've got to deal with that. And I think Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 deals with that. It deals with the reality that you're not always going to be at your best. You're not always going to be at the top. What are you going to do? Um, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, uh, the last rooted memory verse. Are you ready? And let us consider... Ooh, that's pretty quiet. Are you ready? And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds... Oh, I just lost it. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, 
And all the more as you see the day approaching. Ooh, yeah, that was a little shaky there. That's a little shaky. Me too, me too. Um, I want to look at this verse. So would, would you turn to Hebrews 10? I'm going to tie my shoe before I fall. That'll be fun. Hebrews 10. All right. I'm going to start in verse 19 so you kind of get a feel of the context. Uh, What the writer of Hebrews wants to do is kind of remind everybody of all the stuff he's covered in the last nine chapters and then make a point, like, like here's what you're going to do with this whole thing. Verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, which is a nice way of saying we get to have a relationship with the most holy God. We get to go to the holy place by a new and living way. Open for us through the curtain, that is, his body. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, Jesus is who he's talking about, of course. And then he he gives three let us. Three times he says let us. So that's subjunctive, by the way. In Greek, it's it's, it's part of the mood of the verb, which kind of has the idea of you should do this. Not everybody does this, but you should do this. This is what you ought to be doing. Um. Let us draw near to God. That's number one. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. That's the first let us. The second let us. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. That's the second let us. So the first let us is, let us draw near to God in full assurance of faith. The first one's faith. The second one is, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. The second one is hope. Faith, hope. What's the third one supposed to be? Love. Let us us draw near to God in full assurance of faith. Faith. Let us hold on to our hope. Hope. And the last one, let us consider how may we spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Faith, hope, love. Let us not give up being together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. <clears throat> I'm going to need some water. You want to help me, Christy? <clears throat> all right. Faith, hope, love. <clears throat> In your notes, I've given you a very literal translation of verse 24. This is what it looks like. If you were reading it like from Greek and and you wanted to to translate it kind of the way it is word for word, it looks kind of like this. And may we consider one another to provoke love and good works. And may we consider one another to provoke love and good works. That's the way it looks in a literal sense. God wants us... so. Just so we're clear here, the first two are, you know, draw near to God in full assurance of faith. That's the faith one. Thank you. Okay, so draw near to God in full assurance of faith. Hold on to hope. Um, Those are both things that you do between you and God, right? Draw near to God, hold on to his hope. Those are both God things. The last one is what we do for each other. 
what the church does. What the church does is they consider each other to provoke love and good works. Now, what does that mean? I just want to explain what I think that verse means. Just, just here's If you want to try to break this down and understand this verse and what we're asked to do here, um, here's where I'd go with it. Number one, you have to think about people in a different kind of way. It says, we don't usually talk like this, which is why the NIV smooths it out a little bit. Consider one another. Consider one another. Think about each other. Now, I don't know how you think about people, but normally when we look at people, we think about what they're wearing, what they look like. We think about the stuff that they own. We look at their actions and make a decision on whether that's a good action or a bad action. We consider maybe if we'd like to be friends with them. Do I want to get close to this person or not? We, we, make, we, make all, we have all sorts of thoughts about people. And what the writer of Hebrews wants to do is, I want you to think about people in a different kind of way. In a way that you're not used to thinking about them. I don't know how many of us look at someone and say, how can I get them to love better? How can I spur them on to serve better? I, I don't think about people like that, but you should think of me like that and I should think of you like that. How can I do this? How can I, how can I spark something in your life that will be good for you. It means, number two, <clears throat> that we have to take spiritual responsibility for one another. I've got to be responsible for you, and you've got to be responsible for me. I care about what's going on. I want to see you serve better. One of the joys of marriage, <clears throat> joys, <clears throat> is over the years, you learn what buttons will push your spouse over the edge. Here's a universal one that we all know. You're acting just like your mother. Christy says that to me all the time. <laughs> no, she doesn't. She doesn't say that to me. <clears throat> but in the first year of marriage, I said it to her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shortly after that, I took out a life insurance policy on myself. <laughs> you say thank you? Oh, now, now, yeah, yeah, right. Um, that's an easy one. Everybody knows that one. Or if you're newly married, you'll learn it quickly. Um, there's other ones, though, that we don't talk about that only your spouse knows. They know that if they complain about money that you might feel like you're not a good provider and it just tears you down. They know that if you mention that thing that happened 20, 10, 15 years ago, that, that it's still raw. And sometimes spouses intentionally push the buttons. You know that. Some of you do that. And you push the button and it hurts them. It hurts them. And... And you get a response, because maybe you're looking for a response. This word provoke, provoke one another, it's only used one other time in the Bible. It's an acts about a disagreement between two people. They're, they're getting provoked. It's a negative thing. You're provoking. And, and the writer of Hebrews takes that word provoke, 
And, and of course, the NIV says spur on, and that's a, that's a very positive, that has, that has positive connotations, you know, unless you're getting spurred on to help clean the house, you know. Um, <laughs> but spur on has pretty positive feelings attached to it. Provoke, eh, not so much. So why pick the word provoke? I think because it, it, it has that emotional uh, component to it, that, that you know, you're riling someone up, but in a good way. And it's not that you're saying nasty things and, and to get them to love people better. That's not good. But you're saying things that are so, that, that are so deep that it makes them want to do something about it. They want to do what you're doing or they want to serve better. They, it's provoking. Push the buttons. So you've got to get to know people to know how to push their buttons in a good way. You've got to get to know people to know how to push their buttons. I, I could have given a better example for marriage, just like Christy knows what to say to make me feel good. You know, I know what to say to make her feel beautiful. I mean, it, you just, that, that's how that works. Like there, there's a good part of that, too, that you can provoke in a good way. <clears throat> so thirdly, let's say this. Um, we need each other in order to love and serve well. We need each other. I mean, think about what this is saying. Consider how you can provoke love and good works in other people. How can I help you love God more? How can I help you serve better? It means that I don't do it well enough without you. And you don't do it well enough without me. It means you need the person sitting over here to help you love the way you should. It means none of you love the way God designed yet. That's why you need other people to help you. None of us are complete in ourselves. As, uh, as Greg said earlier, we're all in construction. <clears throat> we're all in progress. And part of the construction is you building into me and me building into you. Um, I was here. Uh, we don't get many homeless people that come into the church. Every once in a while we have. But the first one that came in was during my first year of ministry here. And it was a young gal in her 20s, looked very disheveled, uh, was, was just quiet, looked embarrassed to be walking in. And she came in and sat down in my office, and she didn't have a place to stay that night. She was living in her car. And I remember kind of talking to her and, and thinking, we got to find a place for her to stay tonight. I mean, my, my heart is there. Like, it's just like, oh, we need to find a place for her to stay tonight. And so, so what kind of homeless shelters are out there? And what can we do? And she's been to this one before, and that didn't go well. And so, so we're talking and trying to figure this problem out. And uh, I remember I walked into the secretary's office, and, and that was a week where um, we had a sub. Jackie Ribby was subbing, and she was in the secretary's chair. And she, I was asking her about homeless shelters and could we look something up. <clears throat> and I remember she kind of came in to my office with this young gal and started to ask her some questions about her life. And I, I, I was like, that was beautiful. That was wonderful. Why didn't I ask those questions? Well, I was kind of in like full-on guy mode, man mode, you know, where you just want to fix the problem, right? We're going to get you shelter tonight. It's going to happen. And Jackie came in like, 
what's going on in life? What's happening? You know, what brought you here? And uh, I thought, I'm marking this down. This is a, this is a learning moment for me. I'm going to do this better next time. And care about the whole person and not just where they're sleeping tonight. We need each other. Because I see you serve, I see you reach out, and I think, that's beautiful. I want to be more like that. Mark it down. And you see somebody else serving here, and you ought to mark it down. And don't be intimidated. Don't think, well, that's them. They just were really good at it. No, you may not have the spiritual gift of encouragement. I don't feel like I have that gift. But I need to be an encourager. You need to be an encourager, even if you don't have the gift. We need each other to learn. So um, the writer of Hebrews has some thoughts about how we should do this. If there are buttons you can push and provoke. He's got two buttons in mind, really, to push on. Two buttons. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. That's button one. Button two, but encourage each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. That would be the day of Christ's return, the last day. Don't give up meeting together. Push the button. Encourage one another, button number two. Gather and encourage. Gather and encourage. Sometimes people ask me, uh, why... Why, do, why is church attendance important? Have you ever thought about that? You can be a Christian without meeting here. Why is church attendance important? And my answer is along these lines right here. When you gather together, you are in a place where you can be encouraged to love and to serve better than if you didn't get together. That's an answer. That I need you and you need me. We need each other for this. When I was in seminary, uh, I, my, my program of study was transformational leadership. And one of the things transformational leadership says as a theory is, the leader helps transform the group. And the group helps transform the leader. And that's the truth. Because I preach, and then we sit here in cross-training, and you tell me things I need to hear. And, and I remember those things. And I learn from what you're saying to me. That's great. That's perfect. That's transformational on both ends. I think small groups are a perfect way to do the gather and encouragement that we need on a daily basis. Uh, Sunday morning's great because we have cross training here. We talk about the sermon. Uh, downstairs, you have a cup of coffee. You talk to somebody down there. And there are encouraging things happening there. There's no doubt about it, and I want to highlight that. But when you go to somebody's house and you sit in their living room and you're, you're, you're looking at them and you're sharing about your life and they're sharing about theirs, you get to know who they are and they get to know you. And then you know how to encourage them because they share prayer requests. I mean, in my group, people would share prayer requests and they were, some of them were just such deep things going on. And they're not going to blast it to all of you. I mean, they could if they wanted, but they were safe to share in that small group because we could lift each other up and encourage each other. And then there was that, that week where we did the blessing time. Uh, well, the final week we did it too, um, wh- where we just spoke blessing to each other. And you get to hear things people think about you 
but you don't even see it necessarily in yourself, but they see it. Do you know how awesome it is for people to tell you what they see in you in a good way? That pushes buttons. Tell people what you see in them, because chances are they don't see it the way you do. They don't see it. Tell them what you think about them. Push the buttons, and then they in turn will go and push someone else's buttons, and then there's more love and good deeds going around. What happens after rooted? Um, so you come down off the mountain. What's the solution to continue going? Keep gathering. Keep getting encouraged. Because, yeah, things can be hard. For some people, the holidays are the hardest times of the year. You should be praying for those folks. If you know of someone has lost a spouse or a family member, you should be praying for them. If you know someone that has family turmoil, be encouraging them. They need you. This is what the body's about. You might walk right off of rooted into the valley, and you're like, it's, it's Thanksgiving and it's Christmas, but it's the valley. We need each other to gather up and encourage each other. I know there's other reasons to gather, by the way. I mean, I know we take communion together. That's a good reason to get together. Take communion. You can't do that individually. You do it as a church. We worship corporately. There's lots of reasons to gather. But here's one of those reasons. Now, so what's next? Post-rooted. Number one, your group ought to talk about whether they want to become a continually going community group. You should talk about that. Hopefully these will be up behind me too. Easy worship seems to not want to be easy today. Programs. Oh, the creator made the mistake? Oh, man. Oh, the creator of the program. You're not talking about... Okay, I got it. All right. There you go. Okay. Um, Your group should talk about whether you want to keep meeting next year. But no pressure. Ask the Lord what he wants, you know? So if your group leader signed on for 10 weeks and they got other stuff in their life, let them go. It's fine. Uh, Number two, you now have a tool to personally disciple somebody in your life. Think about that. You have a tool, a manual, to personally disciple somebody. You can say to somebody next week, do you want to get together every morning for 10 weeks and just grow deeper in your faith? And you could do that. You've been through this now. This is not limited to what the church provides. You can do this. Number three, you can invite someone to the next session of Rooted in 2016 and attend it with them. We want to do a rooted, um, probably late winter, early spring. Think about inviting somebody to go with you to rooted for round two. Someone that needs to go through it, and you go with them. Consider that. Uh, number four, join a community group in January. January we'll have community group signups. We'll, we'll plug you back in. There'll be more information on that soon. Number five, pursue church membership by attending the six-week membership class in early 2016. We'll be announcing that soon, too. If you're not a member here, let me encourage you to take that step. It's a step of accountability, saying, I'm accountable to this church. It's a step of responsibility, saying, I'm, I'm responsible for the good of this church. I know there's Christians that aren't members of the church. I get that. But it's, it's a step saying, I'm officially recognized as a Christian by the church. These are all good things. Consider membership next year. And many of you are. 
Number six, um, every fall, my hope is to do a study where we all move through it together as a church once a year, just like this, where the sermon, cross-training, small group, everything's moving the same direction as a church. That unity thing is so important here, and I, I love what happened here with Rooted. I think every fall, let's do that. Let's do a study where everything is moving the same direction that way. Um, right now, my, my early thoughts on that are to do a uh, six, seven, eight-week series on heaven based on Randy Alcorn's book in the fall. I'm super excited about that. But we would all move through that together as a church. And then seven, uh, I'm going to talk about some more specific strategies very, very soon uh, as it relates to... Um, as it relates to small groups at church. So there's more stuff to say, and I'll say that in the future, um, but that's, that's the future. Uh, that'll be the future of small groups at Three Lakes Church. Um, let me pray for you, but let me say this. Um, whether or not you were enrooted or not, Christ says the same thing to you today. Christ would want you to know he died on the cross for you. That's why we meet together. He died for your sins. He was raised from the dead. If, if you want to respond to that today, please talk to me or talk to someone in the church here. It would be the most amazing thing for, I think, anybody here that's a believer to be able to talk to you about Christ and how you can receive him today. So consider that, please. How about we end with the giving thanks song, you think? That'd be the one? Come on up. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for all that you've done. I thank you that I need this group of people to love better, to serve better, that you made me rely on them, that you made us rely on each other, that I'm not complete in myself to do it all but that the body is supposed to build itself up in love. So, Lord Jesus, would you build us up in love? We're so thankful for what you've done. We're so thankful for what you will do. And we want to respond in praise. In your name, amen.